With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And I'm Joan of Arc. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> well, hey there, hi there, ho there, Joan of Arc there. <laughs> That's going to make sense here in a few minutes. Yeah. A few minutes. <laughs> or, or if you're in the Graveyard Tales group, you probably know what I'm referring to. Yeah. It, or third option, it won't make sense at all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. We could just not make any sense out of this episode whatsoever. <laughs> eh, some of the stuff we say doesn't make much sense that's to anybody but us. So. <laughs> it's a very good point. So before we get into it today, I wanted to tell you all a little story um, about week and a half ago now, I think, um, Ashley and I went to Chattanooga because we were going to stay in a haunted hotel, the Reed House Inn up there. And we wanted to do that and then take a ghost tour while we were there. So we're in the Reed House Inn and, and we wanted to stay in the older part of the building, but it was under construction because they're renovating it and all that stuff. So, right. you know, they said, people say that when you do construction like that, that it kind of stirs up the spirits because they don't like their home being changed. So we thought, okay, cool. We'll get a lot of activity. Yeah. Well, can you imagine a ghost coming out? Cause they hate the, the carpet that you put in right, the room. Right. They're like, no, 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 no. This, I don't like this. This Find is ghostly not cool. muddy footprints all over your carpet. That would be weird. <laughs> that would be weird. Um, but we had to, had to stay in the newer, section which newer that's still like the 1930s but our room window actually faced the older part of the building there and friday and saturday they had crews in their work and welding and all that stuff well sunday they didn't it was quiet there they didn't have any construction crews or anything well i'm early that morning i'm standing up kind of looking out of the window looking to the old part of the building because that's the only thing i can see and I kind of glance up at the top floor and I see this shadow move across the window, kind of like it's going to go down the hallway. And I was like, well, that's weird. Ashley's like, what? I said, I don't know, nothing. Well, about 20 minutes later, she's standing at the window, kind of looking out. And she goes, so there's nobody over there, right? I was like, yeah. There's nobody over there. It's shut down. There's no crews. She's like, I just saw somebody walking up on the top floor. I said, yep, that's what I saw earlier. So both of us, you know, independently saw a shadow moving across one of the windows up there on the top floor as if somebody was walking past it and then going down the hallway. So that was kind of weird. Yeah, um, that's absolutely weird. Yeah. So luckily... You know, I don't have anything like that around here, around the house. 
but that's why we went there. So we were hoping for that, and we got a little bit of activity. Yeah, and old old hotels are ripe. For, oh yeah, for having an experience like that, yeah. seeing something, you know, or or just feeling something weird. Right. Well, you know, a lot of death and stuff happened throughout oh, yeah. the centuries at these hotels. Um, another thing we did, like I said, we took the ghost tour, um, which is Chattanooga ghost tours. So shout out to them. Um, if you're ever in Chattanooga, hit them up. It's a really, really cool tour, but it started out in the Chattanooga choo choo and hope our tour guide told us a story. She also said she listened to us. So I thought that was really cool that I met somebody that listened to us. But she told us a story that I wanted to pass along to everybody because I thought it was really cool and it was the one that stuck with me. In the 1950s, there was a magician that traveled the South and his name was Lucky Seven. And nobody really remembers his actual name. And this story is coming from hotel workers that worked at the Chattanooga Choo Choo for 50 years. Well, in the 50s, he was there performing a magic act in the atrium area and he said all right this is going to be my last show and everybody just thought he was kind of you know being theatrical about it whatever so he performs a show and at the very end of the show he goes i want to go out with a bang he said so my last trick that i'm ever going to perform i'm going to take this card and i'm going to stick it to the roof now the roof is like 60 feet above your head And so he takes this card, five of diamonds, throws it up, and it sticks to the roof. And as you look up, there's a freaking five of diamonds still stuck to the roof, 60 feet up there. I have a picture of it to prove it. So he went after this performance, he went to his hotel room there in the choo-choo and ended up having a massive heart attack and died. So that was his last show. That was his last trick. Apparently, since the 50s, there's been a few people that said, this is just a dumb card. We need to take this card down. So they've tried and they failed. Because one time they tried, they put a ladder up and the ladder broke when the guy was halfway up to get the card down. So they didn't get it down that time. Obviously, he had to be tended to medically. Well, the next time they actually get up there on the ladder, but the pipes that are running near the card heated up so much that they couldn't get their hand near the card to take it down. So after a couple of times, they said, you know what, we'll just leave it. And the belief is that Lucky is protecting his legacy because his legacy is stuck on the roof of the choo-choo in a five of diamonds. And he's keeping people from taking it down. That's a cool story, even if it's not true. It, yeah, it may not be true, but I enjoyed that one, and that one stuck with me. So, well, that, yeah, that's pretty. I, I can't believe, it. and I've been, to, I've stayed at the Chattanooga Choo Choo. I've not ever heard that story, yeah. nor noticed you would never up there. You would never know it was there because we walked the whole area before the tour, and it's you go in the front and you're in this big open area that used to be the train station, and then you go to the next doors and you go out. And that's where the the card is in that little atrium area. You've got to look up over to the left and you can find it. But thought that was really cool. Wanted, yeah, that is, that is cool. Wanted to give a shout out to Hope with the Chattanooga Ghost Tours. If you're ever there, go look them up. 
they got a cool tour. They've got a couple different ones. You can take the tram tour, which we took because it was pouring rain. Um, and that you drive around and they stop at different areas and tell you about the different areas, or they do an actual ghost hunt in one of the cemeteries out there with equipment and all that EMF spirit box, all that. So it's pretty cool. So we're going to go back and do that one. So, yeah, that, that sounds really cool. That I don't know about the spirit box thing, but hearing that the weird little voices that come out of that thing. Are, yeah, man, it just creeps me. Out. Yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> and I'm not 100 percent convinced by it either. You know, well, yeah, I know. But I think the first the first thing I ever saw with a spirit box, they thought they were talking to the devil. Yeah. So I guess I've got kind of a and and you remember, oh, uh, oh, uh, buddy is it buddy the doll one of the dolls mm-hmm. yeah his owner had a spirit box and sat it in front of him right and he had the one that will actually type out oh yeah 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 and you know these dolls talking to you through this thing you know you got the devil talking to you right not i'm not sure i really want a spirit <laughs> box you, well, know? you know i just talked to myself out of buying that one i'm gonna take it out of my amazon cart yeah yeah <laughs> You could have left it in and bought it for me. I'd have taken it. <laughs> then, then I'll be coming over here and they're like, you won't believe what the spirit box said yeah. today. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. I wrote it down. Uh, anyway, before we get into tonight's episode, I wanted to give you a quote that has to do with our episode tonight. And it is one of my favorite quotes about this topic. And it's from Robin Williams. And he said, if I ever do come back, with my luck, it'll be as me again. <laughs> so you may already know what we're talking about tonight, but uh, let's go ahead and we'll take a potty break and let you hear from two podcasts, Hillbilly Horror Stories and Spectral Asylum. Hey guys, my name is Jerry and I'm the host of Hillbilly Horror Stories. You are not doing this without me. Well, that just happened. I'm his co-host and wife, Tracy. At least for the moment. And we are the hosts of Hillbilly Horror Stories, a mostly paranormal podcast, where we also cover anything creepy or unexplained. But mostly paranormal. Yep, I already covered that. What makes our show different from the other shows out there is that I'm going to tell you and Tracy a story. But I've never heard the story, so you're going to get my genuine reaction. There's probably a good chance that I'll ask the same questions that you guys are thinking at home. It's been said that we're scary enough for the true paranormal fan out there, but also funny enough for the skeptics who just want to listen in and have a good time. So hit that subscribe button anywhere you listen to podcasts and see why we have a five-star average rating on iTunes. Visitor. I'm Laura. And I'm Craig. We're the hosts of the Spectral Asylum podcast. A creepy little podcast that covers a wide range of creepy and unsettling topics. From the paranormal to conspiracy theories. And from mythology to history. With a little bit of awful humour thrown in. If you're like us and partial to the darker and creepier side of the world, then join us at Spectral Asylum. We'll be bringing you bi-weekly episodes to keep you feeling spooky and sufficiently creeped out all year round. Because to us, this kind of stuff isn't just for Halloween. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcast players. And if you like us, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Spectral Asylum. That's all from us for now. We hope to see you in the asylum. Enjoy Enjoy the the show. show! All right, Matt. 
So I don't know if you can hear the train in the background. If you can, great. You've got a train in the graveyard. If you can't, um, there's a train happening. Just yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think anybody will hear it. Probably not. But I'm not going to try. Just hope to, they blow their whistle like right now. Oh, they have before. <laughs> like they'll they'll get right here by the house and blow the whistle, and it'll scare me because it's like midnight, oh, and yeah. I go flying out of the bed. You know. Yeah, but, I got I got one of those about eleven. 11.30 every night. Yep, it's great. Hear it. You know, I've gotten kind of to where I don't hear the train itself anymore, but I sure hear that dang whistle. That's right. So anyway, Matt, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight, we are talking about reincarnation and uh, and and stories that um, if they don't prove it, they they certainly uh, they certainly don't disprove it. Right. I'm, you know, like we were talking before, I'm not 100% convinced about reincarnation, but I'm not 100% convinced about a lot of things we talk about. Right. You know, um, but certainly the cases that we found and even the cases that we're not going to tell tonight are pretty crazy. Yeah. And you, you'll hear us say this a lot, is that if you go and look at this stuff on your own, there's just so much to, to dig through. Honestly, I don't know that any topic we've researched to this point has as much information and stories available as a Google search of reincarnation. Oh, Lord. I mean, you you get pages and pages and pages. And with a lot of topics, you'll see the same stories popping up over mm-hmm. and over again. That happens a very small amount with this topic and you just find more and more and more. And we're certainly not here to disprove reincarnation. We're not here to convince you that it's real either, but we're going to share some pretty convincing stories Mm -hmm. tonight that will make you go, Hmm, uh, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. It, it certainly made me do that. I'm a little more convinced about it than I was before I started the research. And I think if somebody could disprove these stories and like I said, there's so many of them. Uh, people smarter than you or I would have mm-hmm. already done it by oh, now. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, we're we're definitely not the smartest ones to be tackling the <laughs> debunking of reincarnation. That's right. <laughs> but you know, it it's this was really to this to date, this was the story, this was the topic that we were buried under in information. Yeah. Just absolutely buried. There, there's been some other ones we've done that we've, you know, hadn't taken that long to find all the information we needed, and it was pretty easy. We flew through it, and, you know, we gave you all that there was. Yeah. This one, there is absolutely no way we could come near giving you all the information or all the theories about it, all the different sides of the belief systems for reincarnation, but... We're, we'll give you a few. Yeah, we'll give you a few. And, and some of these are, like I said, they are very, very compelling. So, uh, you know, take it for what it's worth. It, it's at its heart. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, may may or may not be accurate, but people have really, really investigated these claims. And like I said, if they could be disproven, they would have already been done. Right. So it's just one of those things that's left out there that's like, well, we can't explain this. Uh, and this, this is, these are the facts. So 
you know, take it for what you will. Yep. So, Matt, what exactly is reincarnation if people don't know? Okay. Reincarnation is it's a philosophical or religious concept that an aspect of a li- of a living being starts a new life in a different physical body or form uh, after its biological death. Right. So, you know, the idea that if I die, my my soul, along with my personality and idiosyncrasies and whatnot, will somehow enter another another body being a human or an animal or hell even a plant right you know i i don't my luck is i would be i would be reincarnated as a tree in the yard of the person that's got 14 dogs right right <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd i'd be like a beet i'd be a vegetable that somebody would eat but hardly anybody likes it so i'd probably just Go limp and rot on the countertop before somebody ate it. Yeah, that's so. I I know my luck, man. Uh, I'm coming back as a vegetable that nobody eats. Yeah, exactly. So you'll grow me just to say you grew right. this, but then I just kind of sit in the colander and spoil. By that logic, I would be celery. Yeah, there you go. Zero flavor. What flavor's there? Tastes like a tin can. You got yeah, there it is. Yeah, see, I I hate celery. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there's a book called The Essence of Buddha, and a quote from there that I liked was that a large proportion of human suffering occurs because people think they only live once. When they become fully aware that the present life is only one point in the eternal flow of time, and that they have lived in the past and will live again in the future, they will understand their future lives will depend on their present life, and also that they can choose what kind of life they will live in the future. So I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. If you believe in reincarnation and you accept reincarnation is a thing, then your life now can be much happier. You can have a much better yeah. life. Yeah. Um. Also, another another quote was that the spirit world is the real home of the soul. The earthly world is, so to speak, a foreign school visited for a period of time for spiritual training. And we reincarnate over and over again to experience life from different perspectives and cultivate ourselves in an infinite number of directions. And it said that there there's a few different numbers on this that... Some belief systems say that the soul reincarnates an average of every 300 to 400 years. So every 300 to 400 years, a soul is reborn. But there are two other ones that I found as well that some say it's every 70 years. So there's basically one average lifespan between reincarnations. So you live, you die, you wait one lifespan, and you come back. And that's so there's not a whole lot of crossover. But there is another belief that it can happen instantaneously. If a baby is being born at the same time you die, you are able to put your soul in that baby. And then there are a whole lot of other beliefs going on that. 
Which we didn't travel down. Yeah, and you know, the part of reincarnation, there is a uh, a theory of of transmigration or rebirth, right. and the idea behind that is that the the reincarnated soul will enter a baby at the time that the heartbeat develops in the womb. Right. So it's not like you've got this soulless child, you know, growing inside of a mother and then it comes out and there's some, you know, there's some soul standing by going, all right, any minute, this one's mine. Here I go. Here I go. Here I go. And then there's like, Four other souls in there. You're like, I called this one. Yeah, this one's mine. Battle Royale. Yeah, get of out of here. This kid's parents are rich. You know. We- yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and there there are cases of which I don't think we got into, but there are cases of a family being watched by a soul. Yeah. In the in between area or that that middle life that they watch the mother and father or the soon to be mother and father. Um, because there, there is a story of a baby girl. She's probably three or four and about three, they say is the optimum time for remembering your past life. Because at that point you're able to form thoughts and you're able to actually put together your memory and you're still young enough where you remember it. Because as you get older, you know, you gain new life memories, you get further from your past life, so you forget. Right. But there's a story of a girl who she told her mom that she said, I watched you before I was born. I watched you. And the mom was a little creeped out. You know, that's I mean, that's something kids say creepy crap all the time, but that was pretty creepy. And the kid then ended up saying, you were in a a pretty white dress and you were holding a dog. And the mom kind of freaked out because it was right after her wedding reception that she went back to the room and her dog was waiting on her. And she picked up the dog and she thought to herself, maybe I shouldn't be holding the dog because I'm in this dress and whatever. But she couldn't help herself because it's a dog. You know, you can't help yourself but pet a dog. And she never told anybody about that. But the kid saw it and the kid knew it. So, you know, the kid was watching her and chose to be born to her. So kind of weird. Yeah, that's that's know. a neat idea, though. But it it's said that souls kind of travel through their lives as a soul group. So you can have three, four, five, six souls that always travel together. And they... So kind of like P-Funk. Yeah, something like that. But <laughs> not nearly as cool, though. Not nearly as cool. Uh, Came back as George Clinton. <laughs> Now, if I could do that, that would be awesome. Uh, my luck, I'd be Bootsy Collins. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd come back as the the bass guitar string or something. Uh, but they say these souls are reincarnated over and over again in various bodies together. And they, after death, they will regroup in the in-between or the waiting area, as it's called, to be born again together. And this could be his family members, friends, business relations, or whatever. Um, so in each life and each existence that you have, like Matt, I would have known you before, but in a past life, you could have been my sister or a schoolmate or something. And then 
when we both died, we joined up and we said, okay, this is the life we're going to be now. And this is how we'll know each other. So, okay. So we would recognize one another. We would, we would know maybe not immediately. Mm, It, it's not said that you will technically recognize each other. Um, If we had known each other as children, then it's more likely that we would have recognized each other from a previous life or from the in-between. But since we're as old as we are, let's not discuss that, but (laughs) we've already formed a whole new life of memories. So it's basically pushed that previous life out and we won't technically recognize each other. But because we know each other now, because we're friends now, then we knew each other in a past life and we traveled together as a group. So look around at your friends, you know, take a look to your left, take a look to your right. Those are the jerks that you're going to be stuck with for eternity. And if, if you got jerks, they're sorry, but they, they may continue to be jerks for lives and lives and lives. I, I can imagine coming back as a fisherman and catching one of my friends in the lake. See, that's it. Like, hey. Yeah, you look. This fish looks familiar. Yeah, this looks like Bob. <laughs> I remember Bob. But the end goal of reincarnation is to reach enlightenment and purity in your earthly body, so that your soul ends up moving on to heaven, and it escapes the cyclical pattern of reincarnation. And according to Buddhism, an enlightened being embodies the directives of the eightfold path. So these next eight ideas are what an enlightened soul needs to gain before they can break free from the cyclical reincarnation path and have eternal life in the afterlife. Yeah. So if you're keeping score at home, we're describing a metaphysical groundhog day. Pretty much. You're going to keep doing it Keep repeating it until you get it right. Right. And then you can move on. Until you learn the lessons that you're supposed to learn. Right. And until you reach these eight things. A correct view, correct intention, correct speech, correct action, correct livelihood, effort, mindfulness, and correct concentration. And when you have reached all eight of those goals, then your soul is enlightened and prepared to move on to the afterlife. So uh, that that's a really it's a really cool enlightened I don't know spiritual idea of what reincarnation is. Right. So Adam and I are sitting here. So Adam, let let's get into this. Let's try to tell how would we know if if we were actually if we had been reincarnated. If 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 you or I or both of us had had lived before, what are some ways that we could tell that that's what happened to us? All right. Well, one of the ways is reoccurring dreams. You would have just a reoccurring dream. It says dreams are reflections of the unconscious mind. And while repetitive dreams may sometimes signify trauma, fear or issues that your brain is trying to process, Repetitive dreams can also potentially be reflections of past life experiences. Many people claim to have experienced certain events, seen particular people, or gone to specific places frequently in their dreams that feel very familiar and somehow recognizable. 
For example, the, the author says, I often have reoccurring dreams of a 15th century castle that I have a distinct feeling of knowing very well, yet I have never seen or been to this castle before in a waking life. So that if you have a dream of a certain place or certain people that you don't know all the time, that could be your past life ego coming through. Yeah. Yeah. And and one idea, too, is that if you if you if your dreams occur in a certain period of history, you know, like you are you're always dreaming in this Victorian style or you're always dreaming. It's the Wild West or the 1920s. They're saying that that could be an indicator of a past life memory leaking in while you dream. And, you know, there's there's been tons of studies done on dreams. And we kind of understand that when you're asleep, your subconscious begins to take over. Right. And it it doesn't form thoughts like you do when you're conscious. It just kind of takes everything and and mushes it together mm-hmm. and and sorts it out and and gets rid of stuff that is unimportant and while all that takes place you know that's why i was riding a roller coaster eating a cheeseburger and you know king kong bundy was sitting next to me or or just you know and it just keeps getting weirder that, and weirder and weirder that actually happened to me though <laughs> it was college there was substances involved <laughs> Yeah, we're not talking about, you know, those kind of dreams. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> my bad. Um, another way that that they say you can tell is you have out-of-place memories. And it says there are many recorded instances of young children who have out-of-place memories that later prove to be oddly accurate in detail. And we'll talk about a few of those here in a little bit. It says, while out-of-place memories could be due to simple fantasies, misunderstandings, or an incongruency in the ability to remember, there is mounting evidence that suggests out-of-place memories could reveal connections to past lives. So if you're going along and you have, you know, it just pops into your head that you have a memory of being, you know, I don't know, in the 1950s, Flying a plane, but you know you've never flown a plane before, you know, or let's say you're in a plane, and for some reason you know how to work the controls, you know exactly what the pilot is doing or what he's about to do. That could be an indication yeah. of a past life, or or you know where something is on the plane, and you shouldn't. Right, right. Yeah. You know where where the throttle is or where the engine compartment is, and you there's no way you could know this. Um, another way is deja vu. And we've all had deja vu at one point or another. You know? Right. And we all know that deja vu is a glitch in the matrix. So. <laughs> right. So take this one with a, with a grain of salt. You could be a, a, a glitch enthusiast or you could be a reincarnation enthusiast. Right. Um, but we've all experienced deja vu at some point and we all know what deja vu is, but it's like some claim that deja vu is a neurological dissonance. Others claim that deja vu reflects the possibility 
of other dimensions. So a parallel universe where it's that theory that every potential outcome of an action is happening somewhere. So I drop my pen here and every possible outcome of me dropping my pen is happening in another dimension where I catch it. It goes through my leg in another dimension. It bounces up and hits Matt in the forehead in another dimension. (laughs) Just any outcome is possible. But others believe that it's a revealing of past life experiences. Right. Where it's something that you have actually experienced in a previous life. Yeah. And people that have deep emotional experiences when they get to a place that they've never been before. Um, it's theorized that this is an indicator of, of not just deja vu, but that past life memory coming through based on visiting a place that you had an emotional experience in a past life. Um, people have gone on vacation, traveled, uh, you know, to the other side of the world. And when they arrive to a place, they get this feeling of, not only have do I feel like I've been here before, but I feel like something's happened here, and and there's a there's a bond or a tie or or something there. It's like it's like driving past the house where your grandparents lived. You know, there's there's memories and and things associated with that. You know, that brings up emotion. And and if I drive past just a regular house, and all of a sudden I get this feeling of oh, I know this house, and I've I've I feel funny when I look at it. Um, you know, artwork does the same for some people. You know, there's just something about, you know, I can look at a hundred paintings, but this one painting just, I feel a certain way when I look at it or it makes me think of something. That's the idea that there's an emotional tie to something in a past life. And when it, when you experience that in your current life, all those emotions come back to the surface and you don't understand why. Right, right. It's that the, and I'll use the term that they use a lot, is the past life ego. Mm-hmm. That it's the your past life ego that may not be feeding you direct memories of something, but it has a visceral reaction to something, and you feel that reaction. Yeah. So another way is precognition. And... It's also known as future sight or second sight, but it's the ability to obtain information about future events that isn't usually available. Precognition can be experienced through visions, physical sensations and feelings, as well as in dreams. While considered quasi-scientific by some, to others, precognition is a very real experience and could indicate the maturation of soulful energy. So if you have lived several past lives, then your soul is well-traveled, well, I guess, versed in the other dimensions and the other astral planes, if you Mm want to think Mm -hmm. of that. And it has the ability of precognition where you don't. So it may give, feed you little bits to keep you safe or to keep, others around you safe so that you can grow and you can experience more and you don't end your journey there. Right. Right. And I, you know, and I've, 
precognition goes beyond the idea of reincarnation. This, but self-preservation is the key. It's the right. idea that if you didn't have it in some manner, you you wouldn't think about that that bus coming down the street. You wouldn't think about that the guy possibly hiding down the dark alley that's going to try to mug you. Right. But having that idea of, I, I see this or I hear it, or I'm in a position where something like this could happen. So I'm going to use extra caution or I'm going to change what I'm doing to avoid danger. You know, th- that idea, I mean, and it's been around a long time, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not just attached to reincarnation, but if you, if you put it in there, the idea that, hey, I, you know, I got hit by a bus in a past life. Right. I'm, I'm going to avoid a situation, uh, unconsciously avoid mm-hmm. a, a situation to where that could happen to me again. Right. You know. So another way, and this one, hap- this next one happens to me a lot. Um, and I have actually been told several times through the years that I have an old soul. And. Sometimes it's said just as one of the, you know, in jest that, dude, you act older than you are. You know, why do you act 60? You know, and you're, you're in your thirties, but you're acting like you're 60. Why are you going to bed at nine o'clock at night? Because you know? I feel 70. Yeah. Because I've, I've worked, <laughs> I've worked in a, a factory for over a decade. I'm, I feel that, you know, <laughs> but, uh, it, the idea is that you feel, older than your age actually reflects and some people are said to be young at heart which would be a you know a younger soul one that hasn't reincarnated several times but the old souls are ones that have experienced life several times that have gained experience and everything and there is a a thing called the soul age theory Uh, where there is certain progression of soulful development from infant souls all the way up to the awakened souls. Yeah. And the awakened souls is what we were talking about before. That's that stage right before you reach enlightenment Mm -hmm. and move into your, your heaven. Yep. And I may be an old soul. I may have lived several times. I'm certainly not near the awakened soul yet (laughs) because I too dumb for that. My soul's still hitting the snooze button. Right, no kidding. <laughs> I've you know, I've got a theory on this. You know, it's like Einstein had the theory of relativity. This is Matt's theory of stupidity. There you go. You ever met somebody and I mean an adult and and you you talk to him for a little while and you go, How are you how are you functioning? Right. On this planet. All right. How did you I, make it? Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm looking at somebody and I'm like, man, you're you're like thirty five years old. How did you make it this far? Mm-hmm. You know, how how did a, a, a thin the herd incident not get you right? But <laughs> you gotta wonder, maybe this is just a really young soul. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe this is somebody that their their past lives are are slim, if any, and they haven't had much life experience, right? You know, much past life experience, and they just don't know. And then you meet people like people describe Adam as having an old soul that just seemed like, 
God, they're just full of this, you know, wisdom and knowledge that seems way beyond their years, mm-hmm. you know. And I've I've got a I've got a friend like that, yeah. You know that he's just not just his his mannerisms or his his attitude. It, you know, it's just there's there's something about him. You know, when you have a conversation with him, you're just like, man, I, how do you how how do you know all this? How how do you have this this an outlook of somebody that you know I would expect somebody that's lived a full, rich, happy life well into their 80s or 90s to, you know, to have this attitude or mm-hmm. outlook. So, I mean, you know, it, it sounds silly, but there's an idea there that you, you meet people that just don't fit in. You right. know, they're either way, act way older, more, you know, more wise than they should be, or you're just wondering, you know, how in the world, you know, right. as my, as my grandmother used to say, that boy don't have walking around sense, <laughs> right. you know? So, right. I, you know, it's, it's, it's just an idea that, you know, maybe, maybe this is a, a, a humorous explanation as to why you meet people like that. Right. Well, you know, it's that every, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Well, it's kind of the same thing. If you're going to say that there is such a thing as old souls, that there is such a thing as souls who have lived before and gained that experience, then you also have to go on the flip side of that coin and say there are new souls. Right. You know, there are souls that do not have that experience, and this may be their first incarnation, and they are learning the ropes of life, and they're learning, you know, they're they're on their first, I don't know, their first journey, their first spiritual journey to learn all that. And that's why you get the adults that act so young. And that's why you get the teenagers that act like they're in their thirties or Mm forties, you know, Mm -hmm. because hell they may be right. You know, they, their past life may, they may have lived two or three times before. Right. And they're just going through it again. Yeah. Um, They're they're repeating the eighth grade. Right. Which I knew that guy on a different plane. Yeah. Uh, Another theory is that you have a great affinity for certain cultures, time periods, environments. So like Mm -hmm. we were talking before, you just feel like, you know, you've heard the people say, I was born in the wrong decade. Yeah. You know, I should have been born in the 60s. You know, maybe you were, you know, maybe maybe you died in the 60s. And that's why you feel that way. Yeah. Is that, you know, your soul is aching for that time period that it last remembers Um, or, you know, you're. Uh, an American, but you don't feel like you're American. You feel mm-hmm. like you're Irish or mm-hmm. that you should be living in Ireland or something, you know, and that can be a sign of a previous life where you were, you were Irish in a previous life. You know, there's also the theory of unexplainable fears or phobias that you have. Oh yeah. Um, it, you know, certain memories or experiences can pass on, or leave quote unquote residues in our childhood and adulthood lives. And it's the same for echoes of past traumas in our previous lifetimes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were mauled by a dog in a previous life, then in this life, though you've had no negative experiences with dogs, you may be fearful of a dog. Right. You know, you may have that claustrophobia because in a previous life you were buried alive yeah kept in a box for 12 years right so 
there's a lot of the phobias people say are actually issues from previous lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. Yeah. You know, because if, if you're going to, again, if you're going to travel down that path, then you've got to, you've got to think that it leaves its mark on your soul. Right. Because, I mean, the definition of a phobia is going to be a severe, irrational fear. Right. So if you don't have a reason to be afraid of something, you know, suffice to say, you might have been afraid of this or something may have happened in a past life. Right. And again, you don't you don't understand it. You you can't explain it. Right. So. It's, you know, it, it, it it's like that thing we were talking about earlier where a lot of cultures, and I think you have little bit on it, but a lot of cultures believe that a birthmark mm-hmm. is a death mark from your previous life. Right. So let's say you've got a little red birthmark on your neck. Well, in a lot of cultures, that is how you died. Mm-hmm. You were either shot or stabbed in your neck. And so that carries on as a physical reminder of your previous life, where phobias could be a emotional reminder of your past life. Yeah, the... The whole idea of scars and wounds um, carrying over from a past life was studied by uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson, who was a professor of psychiatry at the University of Virginia. He spent 40 years researching the subject of reincarnation, found over 3,000 case studies, you know, to support the idea of of reincarnation. Um and and one major one major point that he makes in one of the 12 books that he wrote on the subject is that the wounds and birthmarks uh on children are indicators of trauma or death from the past life so as adam was explaining you have a red birthmark on your neck you know you may have gotten shot or stabbed in a previous life, it it doesn't necessarily have to mean that's how you died. Uh, I read one story about a child that died at the age of two had was born with a lot of um, physical ailments and developed cancer and was given chemotherapy through a central line that went into his right uh, jugular vein. And after his death, his brother was born about a year later with a birthmark indicating exactly the same spots where his central line had been, where his brother's central line had wow. been. You know, so that's what Dr. Stevenson, you know, focused a lot of his research on. Um, but, you know, he, he did a lot of other things, too, as far as conducting independent interviews and investigating claims. All by children. Yeah. Because if if I'm, you know, 50 years old and I just one day come in and say, hey, I was Joan of Arc in a past life, mm-hmm. which if you didn't get that reference, go watch uh, Coming to America. Right. You'll, you'll get it. Um, but as an adult, if I say these things, especially now, you know, I can say, hey, I, you know. Look, look here at the back of my head. Look at this. Look at this mole I've got. You know, I was I was shot in the head uh, in in Oklahoma 
by Billy the Kid mm-hmm. and come up with some. And I can remember, you know, this was right, you know, this was right about the time that Billy the Kid was was in Oklahoma and we lived in this town and everything. And people go, oh, well, we can verify all of this information. Yeah, so can I right. with a smartphone or a computer. Right. But if I'm a child, if I'm three and I'm telling this same exact story, then it has a lot more weight to it mm-hmm. because at, at three years old, I shouldn't know that. And I shouldn't have the abilities to go and look it up. Right. You know, to to fabricate a story. And, you know, children fabricate a lot of stuff for attention. But a lot of details that are verifiable usually aren't on the list. Right. You yeah. Know? Theirs are fantastical dragons. That's and right. Stuff like you know, that, you know, hey, I was shot by Billy the Kid and he was riding a unicorn. Yeah, there you go. There <laughs> you, you know, go. that that's more like what you would expect. But that's not what Dr. Stevenson was getting from these children. You know, they were explaining, you know, how they died. And then he could verify that with the time and a birthmark or a disfigurement on this child. Right. And this is this is something that I haven't talked to Matt about yet, but it's weird that just today I heard this theory. And this could be a little bit controversial, but there is a couple people out who believe that some multiple personality cases can be past lives coming through. So the past life ego from one life ago, two lives ago, whatever, are coming through, they're channeling through into this person's current life. And one doctor actually took the path of speaking to these different personalities and talking to them a little bit. And I've got to do a little more research because it's still kind of, you know, it's a touchy subject. It's not fully been researched because of what it is, because you're talking a a mental illness and you're trying to give a different, different outlook on this mental illness. So it's not really been studied that much, but they they believe, say, you know, you've got three, four personalities that come through at various times, and one may be a woman, one may be a man, another one's a child. These could all be past life egos that you have lived that are coming through. So it's interesting to think about. It's oh, not, yeah. you know, nobody's actually come out and said, this is what it is yet, you know, because yeah. there again, you can never really do that. But. We got a few stories to get into. Yeah. And each of us have a short one and each of us have a long one. Yep. And that sounds a lot worse than it really is. Yeah. that it, We don't mean it like that. We mean short story, long story. We may have to edit that out. We may have to. I don't know. <laughs> I'm probably not going to. I'll probably leave it in. Um, yeah. We edit very little around here. <laughs> yeah. It, it. You'd be surprised with how much, uh, how much actually goes into the final cut there. Um. But I'll go first with mine, uh, since we just finished talking about uh, a little bit of this. Um, But it was in a book called Children Who Have Lived Before, Reincarnation Today. And we talked about, you know, three years old to six years old. 
is the prime time for remembering past lives. And this is a three-year-old boy. He lived in Golan Heights in the Middle East. He began claiming to everyone that he had been killed in a previous life by an axe blow to the head. Now, the weird thing was, this boy had been born with an elongated red birthmark on his head. So, in their ethnic group, it was part of a long tradition of seeing birthmarks as death marks, like we just talked about. So, the boy was taken through the village to see what he remembered from his past life. And when they got to a certain house, he pointed out a house where he used to live. He somehow knew the layout of the house, down to a T, and while walking around there, he even remembered his past name. When the name was looked into, it turned out to be the name of a man who had disappeared from that home four years prior. Now remember, the boy's three. Now that's weird, right? Well, just wait. While they were there, a neighbor came out of his house, and the boy seemed to show a little fear of him. But the boy approached the man, and he knew his name. He said that this man was the one who had killed him and got rid of his body. Now, the neighbor was a little shaken by this, and he seemed to be in, like, genuine panic. Well, the boy then said he could remember where his body had been buried, and he led the village elders to the exact place where a body was buried. When they dug up the body, there was trauma to the skull that looked like it had been from an axe. Now, the boy even said, he goes, I know where the axe is buried. So he takes him to the other side of the town and sure enough, found the murder weapon, an axe. Now, this led to that neighbor confessing to the murder of that man and being arrested. Yeah, and that that story's even got a stranger um, aspect to it in the fact that the axe was buried after the child right. was was killed. So right. there shouldn't not only should he not this this child shouldn't have known where those bones were. Right. Even if he was that child, how in the heck did he know where the axe was buried? Un- unless his soul was somehow able to see that. Right. You know, at, right after it happened. Yeah. Either yeah. hanging around on earth or seeing it from the middle ground area. Right. And and we've talked we talked about that with Adam's story about the the woman picking up the dog in her in her wedding dress that she was being watched you know by a soul that was going to later enter her body and become the soul of her child and this was you know this was her wedding day this was before she was pregnant right you know but this the soul was able to choose her and say that that's going to be my my new earthly mother right um. A really cool story. Um, the one that I'm going to talk about is is about a boy named Luke Ruhlman. Now, when Luke was five, his mother Erica uh, noticed that he would name toys and 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 thing and objects. Pam, he would call him Pam. 
And she wasn't really concerned about it because, you know, that's you know, that's what kids do. I mean, he's five. Um, but when she confronted him about it and asked, he told her that he had once been a girl. That he would say he had black hair when he was a girl or that he wore the same earrings as his mom when he was a girl. And so out of curiosity, Erica asked Luke, okay, who is Pam? Tell me who Pam is. And Luke's response was, I was. Well, I used to be, he said. But I died and went up to heaven. I saw God, and then eventually God pushed me back down. And when I woke up, I was a baby, and you named me Luke. So after pushing him for a little more detail, Luke told his mother that he used to live in Chicago. He took the train a lot and he died in a fire. And after mentioning the death, Luke made a hand motion of somebody jumping out of a window. When Erica pushed for even more information, she began to search on the Internet. And what she found was a story about a fire in the Paxton Hotel in Chicago. So in March of 1993... 19 people died in a fire at that building, and a woman named Pam Robinson died when she jumped out of an open window. So to this day, Erica says she can't explain how Luke would have even known about a fire in Chicago. He'd never even been to the city, and she had never discussed it with him. While the haunting story of Pam Robinson could just be a coincidence, it's enough to make Erica Ruhlman believe. Right. You know, so, you know, we're talking about, again, a five-year-old that has an idea that he was not only a woman, but an African-American woman who had died trying to escape a fire by jumping out of a window in Chicago, a city that he had never really talked about, never been talked to about to him, and... He'd certainly never been there. Right. So a lot of stuff he couldn't know, and you couldn't just coincidentally come up with that story as a five-year-old. Sure. Not not with those kind of details. No. You know, and, and, you know, these details are minor, but, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Chicago, a fire, jumping out of a window. And I guess, you know, people trying to disprove it could say, well, you know, it's a coincidence that you were able to find somebody that died in a fire by jumping out of a window. Right. But would you be able to find somebody named Pam that Mm -hmm. did that? And this was the name that, you know, Luke was saying that was his name. Right. You know, it just, it kind of gives you cold chill Mm -hmm. when you, when you stop and think about that. Oh yeah. Very much so. He shouldn't have known those kind of things. No. Yeah. Now the, Last one I've got is the story of Om Seti. And this is the long one here. So Dorothy Louise Eady was born in 1904 in Blackheath, right outside of London. And she had a fairly normal childhood till she was three years old. When she was three, she slipped and tumbled down the stairs. She was found not breathing, and the parents called the family doctor who pronounced her dead when he arrived. She was placed in her bed 
while the doctor went to get a nurse to help him prepare the body for removal. But when the doctor returned with the nurse, he found Dorothy sitting up in bed playing like it was just another day. Not long after, Dorothy began to exhibit some unusual behavior. She grew excessively nervous and jumpy and withdrawn. She would hide under furniture and was startled by everyday items. She began demanding that her parents take her home, even though they were home. She would show a weird sense of bewilderment with everyday items that she was used to before. Her demeanor became more detached and sad, and she would wake up often with vivid dreams where she claimed to see ancient buildings with huge columns. And one day she was looking at a kid's picture book, and she became completely transfixed on a picture of ancient Egypt. And she would stare for long periods of time at that picture and say it was her other home. Now, another oddity happened when her parents took her to the British Museum. They were walking through the museum, and they came upon the ancient Egypt exhibit that was full of artifacts, mummery, m- mummeries, artifacts, mummies, etc. Then Dorothy's eyes lit up when they entered this exhibition area. When she saw some statues of some old gods and goddesses, she ran up to them and began kissing their feet in a very reverent manner. When she saw a picture of the temple of Seti I, the father of Ramses the Great, she said that it was her home, but she couldn't understand why there were no gardens and trees, and she asked where they went. She said she personally knew Seti, and that he was a, quote, kindly old man. She was obsessed with all the Egyptian exhibits, and she seemed more alive than she had been since the accident. At one point, she apparently recited words in a strange language that no one could understand in a really loud voice. Now, her parents finally decided that that, that's enough for one day. We're done. So they tried to make her leave, and she resisted and said she wanted to stay with her people. Now, it just gets weirder from here. Oh, oh, now it's getting weird. It's going to get weirder here, yep. (laughs) Her Sunday school teacher said Dorothy denounced Christianity as being similar to heathen ancient Egyptian. And the teacher suggested that the parents withdraw her from the class because she was upsetting the other kids. She also got kicked out of school when she refused to sing a hymn that asked God to curse the Egyptians. When she was taken to a Catholic mass, she said she actually liked it because it reminded her of her old religion. She continued making trips to the museum. When she was between 10 and 12, she spent most of her time at the museum. She eventually met the keeper of Egyptian antiquities at the museum, and he was really impressed with her knowledge of Egypt, and he suggested that she take a class on hieroglyphics. Now, while she was taking this class, the teacher was really impressed with how fast she picked it up. When she asked Dorothy how she learned the complex symbols so fast, she said she wasn't really learning them, just remembering her old language that she had forgotten. When she was 15, she was relocated to her grandmother's house in Sussex during World War I. She began to spend most of her time at the library to continue her studies. And she began being visited in her dreams by a spirit named Hora. 
who said that Dorothy was the reincarnation of a woman called Bentreshit, I think. We'll call her Bent. Yeah, close enough. Yep. Who had been a priestess of the Temple of Seti I at Abydos. Now, over the next year, Hora told her of her previous life. She had been a consecrated virgin of the temple, but had broken her vows by engaging in an affair with Seti. And rather than face the horrific death at the hands of the high priest, she opted to take her own life. Now, Dorothy would write a dream journal in hieroglyphics. And by the time she was done, it was around 70 pages. 70 pages of a dream journal in hieroglyphics. Now, she quit school at the age of 16 and went around to different historical sites and ruins around Britain with her father. She later moved to Plymouth and became a student at the art school there, where she began collecting a bunch of Egyptian antiquities. She became very involved in working with Egyptian public relations and worked on a magazine. And this is where she met a man named Iman Maguid, who she ended up marrying. Her and Iman moved to Egypt, and when they arrived in 1931, it said that she fell to her knees, kissed the ground, and she said she was finally home. She went on to have a son that she named Seti, and that's where her nickname Om Seti came from, with Om meaning mother of. Now, her and Iman eventually got divorced, and she moved to live near the Giza Pyramid. While she was there, she met an archaeologist named Salim Hassan. It was through this relationship that she was able to work at the Department of Antiquities in Egypt. She became an advisor to many archaeologists and writers. She began to sleep some nights at the Great Pyramid and would even perform rituals and prayers to Horus at the Sphinx. Wait, you can spend the night at the Great Pyramid? You could in 1931. Oh, dang. Yeah, not now. Just missed it. Yep, just a little past life you may have been able to. Hey, that's right. So she, after that, she ended up moving to Abydos to work on translations of ancient text, which she picked up real quick. So she turned a room in the temple of Abydos into an office, and she was known to remove her shoes before entering out of reverence. Now, to test her claims, the director of the Department of Antiquities asked her to stand in a dark room of the temple and identify paintings on memory alone. She got everything right. So she would she was standing in this dark room, had never been in that part of the temple before. And she was able to say, okay, in front of me is so-and-so. To the right of me is so-and-so. Behind me is so-and-so. And she even picked out tiny details that only some of the archaeologists knew about that had been studying these paintings. So he was convinced at that point that she really was, you know, special, that she knew something from a previous life. Right. And, you know, when you think about that, try going to a room in your house that you frequent often, turn off all the lights and then try to name what's around you. Mm hmm. You, you'd probably be pretty close, even though you don't consciously say, oh, well, this is right there, and this is right here, and this mm -hmm. is right here. You, it's so familiar to you right. that you know where everything is supposed to be. You know, you ever go into your house 
and something's out of place and you know it immediately. Mm. I mean, so, you know, for you to be able to do that, to stand in a dark room and know this is supposed to be here and this is here and this is there. And the, the current life you're in has never been in that room at all. Right. But yet you can do that. That would have to be somewhere that you knew intimately. Right. That you spent a lot of time in, you know, because that's just not something that you're able to do. You know, I, I remember where, you know, the rice aroni is at Kroger. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you stuck me in a dark Kroger, I'm, I'm not going to be able to point it out. Right. You you're know? not going to be able to point in the exact <laughs> direction of where it is. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that that just adds to the strange validity of her story. Right. And we got two more, two more little points here that really point to the validity of it. Now, at one point, she told an archaeologist to dig in a certain spot because she remembered a garden being there. So they dug, and sure enough, they found the remains of the Garden of the Temple of Seti. Now, in 1970, she claimed to know where the tomb of Nefertiti was. Now, no one took her seriously enough to actually go dig in the Valley of Kings near Tutankhamun's tomb where she said it was. That is, until 2006, when they discovered two rooms near the exact spot that she said they would be. The first room had tools for mummification. So then they said, okay, well, the next room should have the bodies. So they go into that second room. And I'll be danged if there aren't two female bodies in this room. Now, this, this is just where she said Nefertiti would be. Now, just last week, Josh Gates from Expedition Unknown actually did a episode and came out on a morning talk show with a recreation of one of those faces from the women that they said was probably Seti. I'm I'm sorry, Nefertiti. So think about that. Mm-hmm. In 1970, she said that's where it would be. Yep. Nobody took her seriously. And coincidentally, in 2006 they found it. Just a week or so ago, they recreated the face and they said, "Yeah, that's that's probably Nefertiti." Mm-hmm. And this lady knew where it was in 1970. Now, she ended up retiring from her job in 1964, but she continued as a tour guide of that area until her death in April 21st, 1981. So she died in 81, and they found all this in 2006, and more, finding out more today. So, very weird. Yeah, absolutely weird. Man, that kind of of left me speechless. Yeah. Which, that's hard to do. Yeah, right. You talk all the time. So. <laughs> Never shut up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it did me too. And that's why I wanted to share the story is because it's not just one of those stories that you find that, oh, yeah, it was, you know, Bill from the 50s that he used to drive this bus. And, you know, this kid is saying he's a bus driver and, 
at somehow at six years old, he knows how to drive a bus. You know, yeah. this is a lady that actually helped out archaeologists in her time, was able to read hieroglyphics and knew where Nefertiti was buried decades and decades before we actually found her. Yeah. What if she had figured out that a lot of hieroglyphics were just ancient memes? That would be weird. <laughs> that would be weird. See, the bird and the, the guy doing this movement here and the cat, is, it's actually a joke that, you know, you guys don't get, but I think right. it's hilarious. I get it because, you know, I actually wrote this one. So they called me the meme priestess. <laughs> All right. So moving right along. Um, this next story is um, is about... And, I, and and you, if you think Adam had some hard names in the Egyptian story, why do you hear this? Good so, luck. Um, this is a story of Pernima Ekin, Ekinyake. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that different about four times. Uh, so psychology professor at the Faculty of School Sci- Social Sciences at the University of Iceland, Erlinder Haraldson, researched the strange case of Pernima Ekinyake, a girl who claimed to have been a manufacturer of incense and died in a traffic accident. Pernima was nine when Professor uh, Hart Haroldson saw her for the first time in 1996 at her home in Bakamuna, Sri Lanka. She was still talking about her former, former life, which was strange because most children stop around age five or six. And according to her parents, she had started talking about her past life when she was three years old. And at the age of four, after seeing a famous TV show that centered around the Kalania Temple, which is the temple of pilgrimage for Buddhists in Sri Lanka, and it's about 145 kilometers uh, from Bakamuna, which was the town where she lived. Pranima said that she saw, she knew that temple. Uh, A few days later, the girl went with her parents to visit the city where the temple was. And upon reaching the city, Pranima said, I used to live on the other side of the river, which was the Kalania River. Over time, Pranima's talks became more bizarre. She started talking about having another mother and another father who worked in an incense factory. She also talked about a terrible accident with a zoku, which is a kind of bus. Despite the strange statements, Pranima's parents did not pay much attention, thinking it was just a smart girl with a great imagination. So, the stories that that she would describe, at the age of six, Pranima realized that her mother was sad about a car accident that had occurred near the house in which one person died. So she tried to comfort her mother by saying, don't worry about that. I've come here after an accident. And her parents were surprised by this, but they concluded that their daughter seemed to have memories of another person, or more specifically, from a past life. For three years, uh, uh, Erlander Haraldson investigated Pernima's claims. The research mythology consisted of interviews with all the witnesses involved, together and separately. And according to the memories of the previous life of Pernima, she had been a man. He worked in an incense factory, and she even knew the name of the brand. 
It was Ambiga. According to her, she was the best incense maker in the family. Also, she also reported how she died. Um, she was, uh, like I said, struck by a bus. She says, after the accident, I just closed my eyes and I came here. I was hit by a bus and a piece of iron was in my body. A family acquaintance uh, who was a, a local professor, he lived near the area where Pernima claimed to have lived, decided to investigate, and he found the alleged previous family of this girl. And the teacher knew she lived across the, across the river. The company manufactured Ambiga Incense and Gita Pinchada. She sold incense on a bicycle. And she had a fatal accident with a larger vehicle. So this is all this professor had to go on when he went there. With this information, the professor began his research. He asked the locals if they knew of any incense factories in the area. And there were three. All of them were small family businesses. To the surprise of the professor, a company called Ambiga manufactured incense and get up Pinchacha. Yes, see, I've done said that. I've said that different <laughs> twice now. So posing as a buyer of incense, the professor began to ask some questions to the owner of the factory. At one point in the conversation, the owner said his brother, uh, Jinadasa, had died in an accident with a bus when bringing incense from a market riding a bicycle in September of 1985. That was two years before Pernima's birth. So when the professor returned, he reported his findings to Pernima's father. A week and a half later, the little girl, her parents, and the professor made a surprise visit to the, to the, uh, the family that, that she said she was from. When the group arrived at the house, Pernima met them for the first time. And when, when she entered the house, the girl looked up and said, this is my brother. And so the, the, the man, um, we just Siri, you can see why I've been avoiding saying this name. <laughs> so we just Siri, he, he didn't really like it and he, he didn't want her there and he, he really wouldn't even talk to her. So he asked everyone to leave, but Pernima started talking about the incense, how it was made and how the packages of incense were made by the family. She asked, she asked, uh, Widgesiri, have you changed the packaging? Widgesiri was quiet. After the death of his brother, Jinadasa, Widgesiri changed the color and design of the packages. Pranima also asked about his knee. Widgesiri had suffered an accident and had fractured his knee. And it was Jindasa who had taken care of him. How is Somasiri and Padmasiri? Pernima asked. Somasiri and Padmasiri were Jindasa's best friends, and everybody just was shocked. You know, the, as this conversation went on, you know, the subject matter became deeper and deeper and deeper. Widgesiri finally was convinced that something astonishing had happened, and Pernima was, in fact, the reincarnation of his brother, Jinadasa. Pernima was born with prominent marks on her lower chest. 
When Pranima's family met Jenadasa, the girl talked about these marks. She said, uh, when the wheels passed over her chest, it had been on her left side. This was the mark I got when I was hit by the bus, said Pranima. Wijasiri knew Jenadasa's fatal injuries had occurred on the left side, just below the chest. Jenadasa was killed instantly. It was another brother, and I'm not even going to try this one, uh, who had told the family after seeing the serious injuries on the left side of the chest that the lower ribs seemed to want to get out. Some of the most significant details of Pranima's case are that the two families were very remote and completely isolated from each other. 14 of 17 matching statements were found and reviewed from events that happened in the life of Jenadasa, who died two years before the birth of Pranima. Birthmarks on Pranima's body matched the area of Jenadasa's fatal injuries. The girl had knowledge of making incense, something highly unusual for a little girl. In general, all these aspects, memories, birthmarks, and self-knowledge make the case of Pranima quite unusual. You know, and and like like with the other stories that we've we've talked about and the evidence about how you might know if you had had a past life, all of these things, the 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 memories, the the knowledge and the recognition of family members that she had not met in her current life, uh, the knowledge of how to make incense, you know, the the job and recognizing that the packaging had changed when she visited there to, to know, hey, this is different. You know, something's different. Did you change this? Right. You know, it, it just it makes this such a compelling story. And, and the fact that they were so far away from one another, not only it, it, you're thinking a child doesn't know this, this person shouldn't even know this. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they live in very small, small villages, you know, in an area that, you know, travel is, is difficult and expensive. And, right. you know, it's just not done. So. There, there really wasn't a chance for her family to have exposed her to another town, much less, you know, an, an industry in that town and another family. Right. And even if you want to say, OK, well, she could look that up. No, she couldn't look that up. You couldn't look up personal information about the family like that. You know who the friends were. Not not in in Sri Lanka. No. You know, I mean, well, even and, in and even not in the in, U.S., you couldn't find, you know, you couldn't just do a Google search and find out who, who my two best friends are. Yeah, it doesn't not, have not that in, information. Not in this time frame. No. So these were some of the most compelling cases that we found, and out of the hundreds and hundreds that we came across, we wanted to share these with you. Now, if you've had any. If you've heard any stories of reincarnation that fascinate you or that you would like to share, please do email them to us or put them on our Facebook group or send them to Twitter or whatever. We'd like to hear them. Yeah. And, you know, we know this episode went a little bit longer than our typical ones do just because of all of the information. I mean, the stories we didn't even talk about, like the story of uh, Barbo Car- uh, Carlin who believed that she was Anne Frank right. in a past life. And when she visited, you know, the Anne Frank house, she she knew things were out of place, things that she had put on the walls, pictures of, of the celebrities of the day, you know, things that made 
Anne Frank felt like she was still a part of the world, even though she was so isolated. She knew where this stuff should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, again, at a time where she couldn't have just looked up these details. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, we didn't we didn't even get into that. And there's so many stories like that. Um, go and go and look up some of these. I mean, they're amazing reads. And, 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 you know, like I said, they can give you cold chills when you just think about it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But um, to close out the topic, I, I want to leave you guys with a quote from a British psychiatrist, Alexander Cannon. Um, and he was a disbeliever, you know, for a long time. But after after researching these topics and investigating these stories, uh, he was quoted as saying this. For years, the theory of reincarnation was a nightmare to me, and I did my best to disprove it and even argued with my trance subject to the effect that they were talking nonsense. Yet as the years went by, one subject after another told me the same story in spite of different and varied conscious beliefs. Now well over a thousand cases have been so investigated, and I have to admit, there is such a thing as reincarnation. Right. And you investigate even even just as little as we did, which that was still a lot, but <laughs> you do that and you'll be a little more convinced. That's right. You know, read the read the evidence out there and yeah. you know, I'm not like I said at the the top of the show, I'm not a hundred percent convinced. Yeah, but, I'm not either. But I'm closer than I was before. Yeah, I, I'm convinced that there's something. Yeah, you know, there's just way, way too many. I mean, if if Professor uh, Ian Stevenson can, over the course of forty years, can investigate three thousand cases like this. There's just there's way too much for anybody to just dismiss it. So if you don't want to call it reincarnation, fine. It's something. Right. You know, and and too many people, like I said at the beginning of the show, smarter than Adam and I have looked into this and been unable to come up with an explanation outside of reincarnation. Right. So like you said, something is going on. Right. But let us know your thoughts. Shoot us an email. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Join our Facebook group if you haven't yet. Um, we we like the conversations. We like to talk. You know, we enjoy it. We, you know, we we wanted to tell you that, um, you know, we, we've had crazy growth here in the past couple weeks, and we can't thank you all enough. You know, you, you're sharing us. You're telling friends about us we we can't thank you enough we're just floored by the growth that we've seen yeah it's amazing and adam and i appreciate it so much and we we want to thank all of our listeners and and if you're you're one of the new new listeners to the graveyard thanks for finding us and and listening to our shows and and leaving such amazing reviews uh, we we are truly humbled by this. Yeah, very much so. Um, if you're new to us, if you're old, an old listener, I just kind of if you're a listener with an old soul. Yeah, if you're an old soul <laughs> listener or an, or a young soul listener, um, hit us up somewhere and let us know how you found us. We're just curious. You know, did you find us on an iTunes list? Did you just happen to stumble across us? Did you hear about us word of mouth? Let us know, you know, tweet us or 
tell us on the Facebook group because we're just curious. But, you know, we we hope that this episode kind of gave you something to think about, you know. It definitely did me. That's, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, we it interested us, so we wanted to pass it along to you guys. That's right. And we just scratched the surface, so y'all go do a little bit more scratching. Right. Scratch deep on that. <laughs> but we thank you for joining us in the graveyard this week, and we will see you back next week.